say to us even today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them up with me to the book of Romans, chapter 6. Romans, chapter 6. We're continuing our series that I have entitled, Do You Not Know? This is the Do You Not Know? series, and this is part two, our second week looking at these passages in the scriptures where we find this phrase, the Bible asking us, do you not know? These questions are posed as a point of emphasis. These are truths that God clearly wants us to know, truths that we should know, truths that we must know to live faithful and fruitful spiritual lives. Now last week, you'll remember, we looked at the wonder of God, who He is. We were reminded out of Isaiah chapter 40. Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary, His understanding is unsearchable. And we looked in great detail, just this wonder of the God who has created the heavens and the earth, the God who has made promise to His people. And as we are reminded of who He is, of course, it brings great comfort and encouragement to us that have put our trust and faith in Him. But He also desires not just to know who He is, but as we'll see here this morning, He also wants us to know what He has done, the works that He has accomplished, and especially what He has done in the work of salvation, which He accomplished through His Son, Jesus Christ. And this is the focus that we will see this week, this focus on the work of salvation. Now, generally speaking, when we talk about salvation, we're typically talking about the gospel, that work that God has done, how great His love is for us, so much so that He sent His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. He then raised Him on the third day in victory over sin and death. And this, of course, is the best understanding of salvation, what God has accomplished in the profound message of the gospel. But more specifically today, and as we'll see in the scriptures, God wants us to know how this affects us personally. Okay, God God loved the world and he sent Christ and we, we understand the gospel story, but how does that impact me? What has this work of salvation accomplished in my life? And how do I appropriate this work of salvation in my life. And I'd like you to consider three areas with me here today. I've entitled them Receive, Reckon, and Render. Receive, Reckon, and Render. You're there in Romans chapter 6. This phrase, do you not know, will appear two places in this chapter. Let's look at those first, and then we'll come back and consider these three areas. Romans 6, begin with me now, look at verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And here's our phrase. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now skip down and look at verse 15. Again, we'll see our phrase mentioned here. Verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, 
whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. So we see this do you not know phrase twice in the in this passage of Romans chapter 6. And we'll take the first one um, up there in the upper part of the, of the chapter. But before we can look at that in any detail, I think we need to consider the context in which it is written. You'll notice how chapter one start, or excuse me, chapter six starts with verse one. What shall we say then? Already it starts with a question, and it's it's posed in light of what has already been said. What shall we say then, in light of everything I have been saying to you thus far? Now let me ask you a couple of questions. So we must understand that to properly, you know, discern this text, we're going to have to think of figure out what is he talking about. What is the subject matter? And the topic that Paul is talking about clearly is the grace of God given to us through Jesus Christ. In fact, the whole book of Romans thus far, leading up to chapter 6, has been to establish that one is saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That it's not by works. It's not by keeping law. It's not by any merit earned by man's efforts or deeds. It is the gift of God to those who believe. All the way back in chapter 1, don't turn, but just kind of give you the setting. Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And he begins to speak about this, this salvation that has come, not by works, not by keeping of law, but by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Now you're there in chapter 6, so let's, let's sneak back up into chapter 5 and we'll get the context, get the flow of thought so that when we arrive at chapter 6, we kind of have a, a, you know, some momentum as to what Paul is talking about. Look with me in verse 18. Paul's going to kind of summarize some things here for us that he's been speaking about. Chapter 5, verse 18. Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. What is Paul talking about? This one one man's disobedience, one man's righteous act. He's contrasting Adam and his fall in the garden, and how that affected all of mankind and the entire race, and the sin that resulted from that one fall, he's contrasting that with Jesus Christ, the one man who at his righteous act at the cross has brought opportunity for salvation to mankind. And he's putting these into contrast. Through one man's offense, judgment came to all men resulting in condemnation. You see, when Adam fell in the garden, he fell on behalf of the race. Adam's sin contaminated the entire race. And as descendants of Adam, we also are sinners by nature. But it's not just by nature. We're also pretty good sinners all by our own willful choices too, aren't we? we could, we'd like to blame it all on Adam, but in truth, we find that we are pretty good sinners all by ourselves. Now, we are connected to Adam. We are descendants of Adam. And Paul is pointing this out. Look, this is how sin came into the race, and it has perpetuated. 
And judgment has come as a result to all men, resulting in condemnation. Listen, sin brings judgment from a holy and righteous God. And we have been judged guilty as a race. And that also affects each and every one of us. There is none righteous, no, not one. We're condemned. The verdict, as we stand before the judge, is guilty. The penalty is death. Death and separation from God. Sin that has separated us from Him, not only now, but the Scripture says, even into eternity. Ephesians 2.12 describes our condition this way, having no hope and without God in the world. Man is desperate in his broken relationship with God. There is none righteous. There are none who can make claim before God. Well, I'm a good person. I have a good heart. I mean well. I'm sincere. You know, those things may be true as we compare ourselves with ourselves, but before God, we are sinners. And the verdict is guilty and the penalty is death. You are without hope. You have no hope and you are without God in the world. Even so, the Scripture says here, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. So that's who you are in Adam, as a descendant of Adam, as a natural man. But here's who you are as you come to faith in Christ. This one man, Jesus, who did a righteous act. What was His righteous act? The offering of His life on the cross for our sin. His righteous life offered in substitute for our sinful lives. The Bible says that He was given as a propitiation. That word is just a, a, a word that means that God's judgment, God's wrath against sin was appeased. It was satisfied in the, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. 1 John 4.10 In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the satisfaction, the appeasement for our sins. The result of this one righteous act performed by a righteous life has brought the free gift of salvation to all men. The emphasis is on free. You can't earn it. You can't. It's not of works. It's not of good deeds. It's not because you're a good person. It's because of what God has done for you. It's not through religion. It's not through some church membership or affiliation. It is because of His righteous act alone. And this makes it free, available to all men. And this gift produces the justification of life justified before God, no longer guilty. Both the verdict and the penalty have been removed the moment you put your faith and trust in Christ. There is no penalty of death, rather the free gift of eternal life for those that are in Christ. The penalty of sin is gone because the guilt of sin has been removed. Why would God punish someone who is innocent before Him? And as you stand in Christ, that one righteous act that He did provides this standing for you and I 
to be justified and completely righteous before him. Not our own righteousness, but the righteousness of him who died on our, our behalf, Jesus Christ. He goes on, verse 19, there in chapter 5, For as by one man's disobedience, Adam, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, Jesus, many will be made righteous. Adam disobeyed in the garden and many became sinners. Jesus obeyed in the garden. You remember the garden of Gethsemane. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus obeyed in the garden and many will become righteous. As many as believe on him. Righteousness. Uh, right standing before God. Not only has God washed away the sins, but He has credited righteousness to your account. Sin has been taken away and righteousness has been added. Something has been given to you. Not just taken from you. Thank God for forgiveness. But who would have dreamed that we would become righteous? And the very righteousness of God in Christ has been given and credited to your account. So, all men are sinners as descendants of Adam and stand condemned before God and all men can be made righteous through faith in the saving work of Christ. But he goes on. Take a look with me. Verse 20. Moreover, in addition to, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He says, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. You see, we are all guilty as being descendants of Adam. We are part of the fallen race. And so we stand guilty. But God added the law so that the guilt of sin might abound. Well, that doesn't seem like a good idea. Lord, why would you give something that would make us even worse sinners? It's not that you, became, you and I become any more sinners when the law comes, but what the law does is it reveals the magnitude of our sin. God brought the law so that sin might be clearly seen and known by men. Lest we somehow imagine that well, maybe I am a good enough person to be accepted before God. I mean, after all, I didn't, I didn't sin like Adam. I'm not so bad. I've got you know, good intentions. I'm sincere. So God said, okay, well, look, here's the law. Here's the standard. Measure yourself against this standard. And, of course, the law revealed to us that we were even worse sinners than we thought. It revealed to us very clearly the extent of, of our sinfulness. That's what it means that the offense might abound. God, listen, God wants you to know and understand your condition. And it's not good apart from Christ. And God wants to make it very clear. Listen, if you're here today and you do not know Christ, know this, that you stand guilty before a holy and mighty God who will one day have you stand before Him in face-to-face -face judgment and give an account for your life. And if you're betting on your own goodness and your own righteousness, I'm saying to you, that's not the place you want to be. You want to put your trust in Christ's righteousness. Let Him cleanse you. Let Him credit 
uh, your account. The law is intended to reveal our condition. Thou shalt not lie. Let's just start there. Anybody ever broken that commandment? Those of you that are not raising your hand, I wonder if you're breaking that commandment right now. You're guilty. You're all li- we're all liars. <laughs> We've all lied. We've all shaded the truth. We've all squirmed around the truth. Thou shalt not covet. I don't know about you, but I, I'm guilty. <laughs> Thou shalt not commit adultery. Oh, okay, there, there's one. I, I haven't done that. But Jesus said, look, even lusting after a woman in your heart, you are guilty of adultery. Oh, well, that's, that's another matter altogether. Listen, the law is the standard. And, and it's given not to condemn, but to reveal your condition. To point you to the need for a Savior. Paul put it this way in the book of Galatians. The law served as a tutor to lead us to Christ. You know what a tutor is. It's helping someone learn and understand certain principles. And so the law is to help us understand and lead us to the realization that I need saving. I need forgiveness. And I can't get out of this predicament in my own. I have nothing to offer to relieve my guilt before a holy God. And it leads us straight to the cross. The law was given that sin might become exceedingly sinful. That there would be no doubt. But, and this is an important but in the Scriptures. Verse 20. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. And that's the beauty of the Gospel. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yes, the the law reveals the extent of our sin, but the grace of God abounded much more. The grace of God is sufficient to save the worst of sinners. You can't say, oh, you know, and I've heard this. People feel such a sense of condemnation. You know, God might be able to save you. God might be able to, but not me, Pastor. You have no idea how bad a sinner I've been. You don't realize the things that I have done. Listen, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. There is no place of sin that when the heart turns to God, grace cannot save you. Grace will save. The more the, more the sin, the more superabundant the grace There is no place in sin or failure where the grace of God cannot abundantly save you. How do we bring it into our lives? Listen, you have to receive it. And that's my first point here is to receive. Salvation is something that must be received. God has done the work. God has made it available. But if you reject it, You will miss the blessing and the benefit and all the grace and power that is available to you to cleanse you, to save you, to forgive you, to make you righteous before God. But it is all available to you and it is a free gift. You cannot earn it. You cannot work for it. You must receive it by faith. This grace, those feelings of condemnation and unworthiness before Him. 
that God would allow the grace of His Spirit to impact your heart even today. And even for those that are Christians, even those that are, have received that, that wonderful work of salvation, you know, we still struggle sometimes. Those ups and downs in relationship that we imagine somehow my favor with God ebbs and flows based on my works, based on how I'm doing today or yesterday or this week. Your standing before God is not impacted by your works of righteousness or by your sinful deeds. Now listen, your works will impact your life, but not your standing before God. Because that is secured in Christ's work, His righteous act. And as you turn to Him, and as you put your trust in Him, and as you acknowledge your sin and receive His grace, He is faithful and just to forgive you. And that is something that becomes like a solid rock beneath your feet. And it should stabilize that up and down feeling of where I am with God. Bad week. I can't even go to church this week. It was so horrible. Uh, I just, you know, I don't even want to show my face before the Lord. That's a misunderstanding of grace. That's a misunderstanding that somehow your bad week, uh, you know, had anything to do with what Christ accomplished for you at the cross. He went to the cross because he knew you would have that week and probably some more weeks to come. And the grace of God gives you that standing and it must be received. But now let's put some balance to it. This grace, as wonderful as it is, it does it just now then give me kind of a, a carte blanche? Then, gee, I, I don't ever have to worry about sinning again. I can, just I can just live the way I've always lived because grace now covers me. And that's missing really the heart of what has taken place when you come to Christ. And that brings us now to chapter 6. Let's move forward now. And, you, and now with that backdrop of His grace, you begin to understand this question. Paul asks in verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Paul is going to explain the, uh, an intricate and important part of what took place when you came to Christ, lest you imagine that somehow... Oh, I'm just a free bird to sin and do whatever. It's all grace has got me covered. That's not the purpose of grace. That's not what grace teaches us. In fact, the gospel teaches us that we have to crucify the old man and be born again into the new man. And that's what takes place when you come to Christ in sincerity. The penalty of sin has been removed by His abundant grace but the power of sin has also been broken over your life by this work of grace. Your old, did you, do you not know that your old man died with Christ and that you are now alive in resurrection power? And he references baptism. Now, baptism is to be a picture 
of, of death. Baptism is a burial. Just as Jesus was crucified and, and laid down in the tomb, so baptism is a picture of going down in the, the old man going down into to the burial of the baptism waters and coming up as Christ was raised, we are resurrected in newness of life. This needs to be understood, believers, that when I came to Christ, there was some, somebody was left behind and somebody was made alive. The old man was put in the grave. That's why Paul says, listen, why, why would you imagine that the old dead man would now continue to live out sinful desires when, you, when he's been dead and buried? Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. And this idea of baptism... It was a very prominent message in the New Testament. Just some quick references for you. You know the Great Commission, Jesus, Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Make disciples by burying the old man. Put to death the, the old man. Peter, the day of Pentecost, his first preaching of the gospel. At the end and conclusion of his message, he said, Repent and be baptized. Turn your heart to God and bury the old man. Philip, preaching in Samaria, a great revival broke loose. And it says, Many believed and were baptized. It was a common practice when people came to faith. They were baptized. You remember Philip ministering one-on-one -on -one to the Ethiopian eunuch along the road. And they came to a and, and he received Christ into his heart. They came to a place where there's some water, and the eunuch said, "Is there anything here that would prevent me from being baptized?" And Philip said, "No, let's go for it. Baptize him right there on the roadside." He wanted as quickly as he could to bury the old man. He want, he he understood that he was coming into a new life, not how to bring and incorporate the old life, but to bury him and to walk in newness of life. Peter at Cornelius's house sharing the gospel at the Gentile centurion's home. The Holy Spirit falls upon them. And as Peter sees the Holy Spirit falling among these Gentile converts, he says, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized? Let's baptize them. Let's put, them, let's put their old man to death right away so that they understand when you come to Christ, you're not bringing the old man along with you. You're not adding Christ to the old man. You are burying him. You know that you're lost. You know that you are without hope in the world. You know who the old man is and what he does. And you want to be rid of him. You want to be saved and delivered from him. This is what happens at the cross. Wherein you allow the Lord to put to death the old and bring to life the new. This is the only gospel that the New Testament understands. Listen, again, don't turn. Let me just quote these quickly to you. Ephesians 4.22 Put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Colossians 3.9, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. The old man is dead and you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. 
You have been born again if you have come to faith in Christ. That's why Paul can say, why would you imagine that that dead, old, buried man would now be free to live and reign in your life anymore? You miss what happened to you when you came to Christ. Now back in Romans 6, you'll see that he just, he just expounds on this. You're how identified we are with Christ and his crucifixion and his resurrection. Old being dead, new being alive. Look with me in verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was what? Crucified with him. That the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. You see, sin's power has been broken. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Dead men don't keep sinning. Verse 8. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. We have been united with him. Not only in the likeness of his death, but also in the likeness of his resurrection. The old man has been crucified and we now walk in newness of life. For the death that he died, verse 10, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's point two on my message today. Reckon. Reckon. That word means to consider, to take inventory, to conclude. There needs to be kind of a, a, a made-up mind about this. That old man is dead. I reckon him so, and I reckon myself now alive in Christ. That word reckon, it's kind of become some word, some guy, you know, like Beverly Hillbillies. I reckon so, but... You know, there's something to it here, and I want to draw your attention to it because, listen, it's, it, you've received the grace. Now you must reckon. You must understand. You must esteem. Paul is asking us to think logically about salvation, what, take, what has taken place in your life. And if you can know this, if you can, if you can really embrace this by faith, it's going to affect your Christian living. Because you're going to realize that that's the old man. I can't keep nurturing him along, you know, dragging this corpse with me. I've got to put him back in the grave and keep him there. And I've got to walk now in a new life, a life empowered by the Spirit. It is a key word, a conclusion that you must make in faith. Let's be honest. The old man seems to be alive and well sometimes in our lives. I thought he was dead, and here he is again, driving the car, driving, you know, running the show. It has to be embraced by faith. It's something that has to be considered. You can't, you can't give up on this just because you have momentary lapses. Or you, you, you have ten, you know, on occasion you fall back. Hey, don't resurrect him. You put him back in the grave and consider this and conclude this. Listen, here's, here's the confession of faith. I consider and conclude that my old man died on the cross and was buried with Christ. And I am a new creation now living in the resurrection power of Jesus himself. 
That is the confession. It's not always what I see in my life, I'll be honest. But this is what I believe. This is what the Bible says has taken place. This is the fact of His Word over my life. And I must align my thinking and I must reckon it so because it will empower me to live for Him. You must know this. You must conclude this. You must accept it by faith. It's my, my opinion that many, many believers come to Christ I think with something of a, a false understanding of what Christianity is. I think some of it is probably the, the desires of our own heart, wanting to you know, make Christ into an image that we would design Him to be. I think some of it is the result of really improper teaching and not a, not a balanced presentation of what the Gospel really is. But it seems that many, they, they come into, they, they invite Christ into their lives, believing somehow, somehow that He's now going to help them fulfill their life's ambitions. That doesn't sound like burying the old man. That seems like, Jesus, come help me live my old man out. Come help me fulfill my dreams. Come help me accomplish my desires, I, my uh, dis, uh, appetite for success. Jesus is going to help me discover my true self and all my aspirations. It's a self-centered idea that Jesus is coming to actually mingle in with your old man. Yeah, maybe some things need to go, but oh, you know, help me in all the other things that I still desire. And, and you, miss the, you miss the burial, don't you? You miss the, ba- the point of baptism. And then they're frustrated. They're frustrated when Jesus doesn't seem to be making them happy. They still have trials. They still have disappointments. The Lord's not cooperating at all with my plans. Jesus, I didn't invite you in here except to help. And I'm not getting the help that I fashioned for you. We forget that the old man is dead and that he has a plan for our lives. God has a purpose for your life. God wants to rescue you from your empty ambitions. And He wants to fill you with something of eternal purpose and value. You are created in His image. Don't settle for the image of Adam. And you can have the image of Christ. Let Him transform your heart. Let Him lead you. Exchange your old man ambitions for the power of God in your life, the new man in Christ living for His purpose, His kingdom, His glory. Some people try to have it both ways. It looks to me, and I think I've been guilty of this on more than one occasion in my own life, we we recognize that we need to surrender to Christ, but we kind of try to accommodate both. We try to live this balanced life right on the fence. I want to get as, stay as close as I can to the old man and some of the perks, you know, that, that are offered there in the world. But, but, but recognize, no, no, I, but I, I still want the blessings of the new. And then when we live that way, making subtle changes but still accommodating the old man, we wonder why we still struggle with sin. We wonder why we still wrestle with some of the things that come up in our lives and we seem to have no power to really deal with them. It's because you're keeping something alive that should be dead. 
You're holding on to a man that should be left in the grave. Finally, this morning, look with me in chapter 6 and verse 12. We've talked about receiving. We talk about reckoning. Finally, let's talk about rendering. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. Listen, it doesn't say you'll never sin, but sin should not be reigning. Sin should not be ruling. Do not let it reign. It wants to. And if you let it, it will. But you don't have to. Don't let sin reign in your body that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. And here's our second occasion of do you not know. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves, slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? This talks now about rendering. I'm using the word rendering. It it presents here in the the New King James as don't, don't keep presenting your members to sin. Don't render yourself to sinful acts. Rather, render yourself to God. It could be translated yield. Do not yield your members. Do not render your members. Do not present your members. There's a choice, believer. There's a choice that you have. Listen, this power of sin has been broken. We can no longer say, I I just couldn't help myself. Yes, you're right. You couldn't help yourself. But as a child of God, the Bible says you'll not be tempted beyond what you can bear. But with each temptation, God will provide a way of escape. The grace of God is sufficient for you and I to not sin. Now, I do not believe that in this side of heaven, any of us will come to that kind of perfection in our walk that we will never sin. But I do believe that as we walk, there should be less and less occasion of sin in our lives. We should be changing from glory to glory. There should be a maturing, a growing. Every time, now and then you stumble and it's very discouraging, but you can, you can kind of look and say, yeah, but, but this is where I am, but I remember who I used to be. And that often will, you'll see, but you know, over, the, over time, over the year, God is changing me. God is working. And this is what Paul is talking about. Believer, listen, you've been delivered. Now start rendering yourself to God. Quit rendering yourself to the old man. Don't let sin reign. Grace has removed the penalty, but it has also broken the power of sin over your life. Now, some would, some, some would just like God to remove even the temptation for sin. But that's not realistic. Because I've prayed with people. I don't understand it. I still am tempted to sin. Well, as long as you are in these old bodies, these, these bodies are not yet completely renewed and redeemed, are they? I hope not. This, there's got to be better than this, right? We're looking forward to a complete and full uh, salvation experience even when our bodies are made like His. 
But as long as we live in this life, in these bodies, with this flesh, there are going to be temptations. There are going to be lusts. There are going to be things that look to distract you. And that is a battle that you must commit your heart to to wage. The Bible says that the spirit and the flesh war against each other. We're going to look at more of this next week when we talk about that walk of the spirit. You're not alone. You don't have to fight this battle by yourself. You never could. The spirit of God will empower you. But the word of God instructs you to present yourself to him. Render yourself to the Lord. It's an important step towards victory is giving yourself to the Lord because it will bring about righteousness and the fruit uh, of blessing upon your life. He says that, you know, and this is the do you not know, that whoever you present yourself, whoever you render yourself to, you're going to end up being a slave of that master. Now remember, this is written to Christians. Christians whom God has broken the power of sin over your life. But if we continue to render, present ourselves, and entangle ourselves, eventually those things will actually become a bondage and a stronghold in your life. Now by the grace of God, the scripture says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the destruction and tearing down of strongholds. God can still set you free and deliver you, even if you have allowed something to reestablish a stronghold. Sin shall not reign over you, believer. Sin shall not be your master. As you apply, as you embrace, as you commit your heart to him, God's grace will begin to set you free. And it's a decision that we make in rendering ourselves to him. I think it's something you have to do daily. Jesus said, pick up your cross daily and follow me. I think it's a choice that we make to, to serve the Lord. I'm not saying we're going to be perfect. I'm certainly not. But I do believe that I am committed in my heart to walk and wage this battle because I know that God has helped me gain victory in my life. And if you've walked with the Lord for any season, that should be your testimony too. I'm not all that I want to be, but thank God I'm not who I used to be. God's grace is working in my life. I am seeing his change in my life. I am, and listen, I'm seeing bondages broken. You know, he says that if you present yourself to these things, eventually you're going to be enslaved by them. That reminds us of what the writer said in Hebrews, right? Set aside the sin and weight which so easily ensnare us. These things will become real entrapments in your life. Don't keep presenting yourself because it will produce a bondage. Rather, present yourself to God. And you'll also find that as you learn to walk with the Lord, you grow spiritually. You, You receive strength to walk in victory. There's something of His blessing there for you. Oftentimes, we choose sin, we go back into sin, because somehow we imagine that that, that's really where we were free. Well, I want to be free to dabble. I want to be free to, you know, divulge into some of these things. But Paul is saying, listen, those things don't bring freedom. They bring bondage. Do you remember when you were 
in bondage to sin? Were you, did you feel free? When, when you thought you could do whatever you wanted, did that bring freedom in your life? Or did the self-control of the Holy Spirit and the work of grace in your life really bring a place of safety, peace, and true freedom to live the life that He's called you to live? We're closing here. And I was thinking this week, I'm sure many of you saw it on the news. I was very grieved at the loss of Robin Williams. Oh, he was such a talented um, actor, and I enjoyed so much of his work. And to hear that he had taken his life at the age of 63. Here's a man, by every outward appearance, I would have imagined he he had every freedom his heart desired. And yet, as it turns out, he was in bondage. He was really entrapped by his own thoughts, his own despair, all that the enemy then used to deceive him into believing that this man created in the image of God was not worth living another day. That's not freedom. That's bondage. But I was also thinking today and blessed to meditate on the idea of the prodigal son. And we'll close with this. We won't look at it in detail, but just to remind you. You know, Jesus gave this story of a young man who was living under the restraints of his father's home. And he wanted to cast that off. He he wanted to go out and live his life. He thought what he was longing for was freedom. And so his father gave to him his inheritance, his financial uh, amount, and he went out and he began to live for himself and enjoy all the freedoms he'd always longed for, all the things he, he could never do when he was at home under his father's you know, domain. And oh, he lived riotously and he lived sinfully, but he ended up in great bondage. He ended up there with the pigs feeding them, feeding the swine and wishing he could have eaten some of their food because he was so destitute. But in that place of bondage, he came to his senses and he returned home. The boundaries of his home were were no longer uh, boundaries that he believed would restrict his freedom. Rather, they were protecting his freedom from the bondage of self-indulgence and the addiction of sin. If you're a Christian today and you're, you're wrestling, imagining that you could enjoy freedom and only to find out that it's got you in bondage again, you know, maybe you need to come home to the Father's place of protection. And I love this. The Scripture says, the Father, who is a picture of our Heavenly Father, while he was still a long ways off as the son was coming home, his father was looking for him and he saw him way down coming up the road. And while he was still a long ways off, he saw him and the father ran out and welcomed him and embraced him. And said, my son who was lost is found. And he brought him home. He restored him. He cleansed him. He forgave him. He reestablished his position in his, in his home, in his protective covering. And I imagine the son at that moment thought, now this is freedom indeed, to be here 
with the love and care and provision of my Father. Where else could I be that would be better than this place? I encourage you today to receive the grace of God, to reckon, to understand what has happened when you've come to faith in Christ, and then to render, to give your life to God and not to these indulgences of the flesh. Let's pray. Father, we we thank You for Your Word to us today. Lord, very rich in doctrine, this book of Romans. And in some ways, Lord, kind of hard to work through because there's just, uh, just a lot of concepts that we have to kind of learn. But Lord, You've given these things to us because they are of such importance. I pray for us today, I I pray for our hearts to receive these truths, to receive your grace, to reckon, to acknowledge what has taken place in the work of salvation, and then, Lord, to render, to give myself completely to you and for those things that you desire in my life. And as our heads are bowed here today and we close in prayer, I want, as I do at the end of each service, to give an opportunity for anyone that may need to respond to the Lord. And today we, we discussed very clearly this wonderful work of salvation. We, we talked about that one righteous act that Jesus did at the cross on your behalf. And if you've never received that, if you've been trying to live a, a relationship with God kind of based on your own merit, your own understanding, your own kind of self-righteousness, your own system. I pray that God spoke to your heart today and that you realize, listen, you need Jesus. You need His righteousness. You need His love, His forgiveness. And it's free. It's free to the heart that will turn and receive it. And I'd love to pray for you if you're here today and you want to receive Christ into your life. Or maybe you're here today, you do know the Lord, you've walked with Him, but maybe you're like the prodigal. You've drifted away. You've gone out exploring on your own, thinking you might find some freedom, some place that you could enjoy the deeds of the flesh, even as a believer, only to discover that it led you to bondage and disappointment. And you know in your heart today that you need to come home. And the Father's been looking and the Father's been waiting. And if you're here today and you need to return, believe me, He's running towards you even now to embrace you and to receive you back to Himself. So if you're here today and you want to receive Christ for the very first time or you want to rededicate, recommit your life to Him now, would you please raise your hand where you're seated? Let me see you and I'll pray for you. God bless you. A couple of hands upstairs. Your hands downstairs as well, center section. God bless you on my right, in the back. God bless you. Over here on the left, God bless you, man. You, you as well, young man. God bless you. You, sir. You, sir. Where sin abounded. Grace did much more abound. Don't imagine that you're too far. Don't imagine that you're too guilty today. What Jesus has done 
is enough to cover you for all eternity. Anyone else, just before I pray, many have responded. God bless you. You as well, ma'am. Do sense His Spirit reaching out to us today. I just want to wait another few seconds here. Anybody else? The Lord's drawing you. As I said in the beginning, you must receive. It's here. It's available. But you've got to receive it. Anybody else? Just before I pray. So, Lord, I do thank you for these hearts today that you have met in such a personal way. And I would ask, God, that you would meet them with such love, such grace, that you would assure them today that the love that you have for them is not based on anything they've done or not done, but rather it's anchored in who you are. Because Christ came to save sinners. And Lord, we just come today and we acknowledge, Lord, that's me. (laughs) If you came to save sinners, Lord, then I qualify. And I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. I'm asking you to wash me clean of that unrighteousness and remove that guilty verdict over my life. And Lord, remove the penalty of death and replace it with the blessing of eternal life. I receive it today as a free gift from You. And Lord, for those that are here returning to You, Lord, that they would allow You to embrace them and refresh them and restore them back in Your home and family and fellowship. Remind them, Lord, that You were looking for them before they got here this morning. While they were still a long ways off, You were looking. And as, they, as their heart began to turn toward you here today, Lord, you have, been, you have rushed out to embrace them. Comfort them with this knowledge that you love them, that you've cleansed them, that you've restored them in right relationship with you. We thank you, God, for this wonderful work of salvation. And Lord, we're so thankful to know it. To the, to the question, do you not know, we can say, Lord, we know. We know and we believe in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.